Hello and welcome to the Work Matters podcast where we discuss what matters at work and how to make it better. Research shows that the primary factors of happiness include health, social relationships, and our experiences, or how we spend time each day. Work dictates so much about our daily experiences that it ends up affecting our sense of fulfillment, it affects our health, our relationships, and this podcast starts with the premise that when people lead healthier, happier lives, everyone benefits. We become better mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, neighbors, and yes, we become better, more productive employees. Our well-being really matters. And so in each episode, we'll explore a specific topic related to the experience of work with a focus on understanding why it matters and how to make it better. I'm Robert Richardson here with Steve Hunt. Steve, what matters at work today? Stress matters. Do you ever get stressed at work, Robert? <laughs> I yeah, a little bit sometimes. It, you know, it's not just uh, work. I would say, but it's the fact that I've got a full time job that often keeps me traveling, and then I've I've got four kids on top of that job. So yeah, I, I get stressed. I'm uh, think I'm getting stressed right now, Steve. Just thinking about the things I get stressed about. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes I get stressed. We go to work to get stressed. Yeah, you know, and I think in the, in the world too, and there's there's research on this that the stress levels are going up in our society because just you know we're not really meant as humans to live in a twenty four seven always on connected world. Uh, you know, yeah. somebody once told me we haven't slept well since they invented electric light, and all of these things are coming up to this pace of stress. And so you know, but I think what can you do about it? We can't. What? what, what how do you deal with the stresses you face? In I think there's a couple ways. You know, I mean, one of the things that I try and remember, not that I'm perfect at it, but, you know, there is a difference between positive stress and, and negative stress. I, I feel like, you know, and, and one thing I'll attempt to do is when I am feeling overwhelmed, you know, instead of uh, letting myself just feel overwhelmed, I, I really try and transition it to the the positive kind of stress. You know, I mean, there are times that you feel overwhelmed and, and it's terrible, and there are times that you feel overwhelmed and absolutely on top of your game, you know, and, and if you can make it uh, more like the latter experience, right, that stress doesn't feel so stressful. Yeah, I get that conceptually that, you know, it's an opportunity, not a threat, but sometimes man, it right. sure feels like a threat. Well, today we're really lucky because we have Dr. Andrew Chate, who is an expert in work stress. He's the chief science officer and co-founder of Mequilibrium, which is a compass focused on employee well-being and mental health at work. He's the founder and president of Phoenix Life Academy, a company that specializes in employee resilience. He's a fellow at Brookings Institute for Education, a professor of psychology at University of Pennsylvania, a research professor. I could actually go on. He is a big deal. He has been studying this. He is at the top of the field on understanding stress and resilience. We're so excited to have him, and hopefully he can help us deal with this stress. Andrew, welcome to Work Matters. Steve, thank you so much. Thank you, Robert. So, Andrew, you know, you said you've put so much time and work into uh, – Understanding stress, I kind of joke, you've probably been stressed about your research about stress. What is it that made you decide to focus on that? Why does stress and resilience matter so much to you? I really came at this, Steve, through uh, resilience rather than stress, but I've found since that resilience is actually the antidote to stress. But a thousand years ago when dinosaurs ruled the earth and I just graduated uh, from college, 
I graduated with a degree in philosophy, which made me absolutely useless for any productive work. I finally found a job in the early organization that would have me, and that was the Australian government, and ironically, the unemployment office. And it was my job to interview people who'd just been fired or downsized from their jobs. And I very quickly began to learn that there were some people who were just going to get up and dust themselves off and get out there and try to find another job. And there were others who were just inevitably going to languish and become hopeless and helpless. And what made the difference between these was resilience. I became fascinated by that. I went back and did a second degree, this time in psychology, which made me a little less useless. And I've been pursuing and hunting down this concept of resilience ever since last 30 plus years. Wow, that's fine. Well, one, I, I like the fact, I, having a PhD in psychology, I like the fact it's less useless. <laughs> but on the stress, so that's, you know, I think what you hit on, though, is, you know, we all encounter stress, but some people are able to measure it well. Now, before we talk about how to manage stress, what is the state of stress in the world today? You know, I read these things saying that stress levels are going up. It certainly feels like it. But what is the, the sort of the research say on are we more stressed and why? We definitely are more stressed. Stress, as you said, is going up. The World Health Organization is called the 21st century, the century of the epidemic of stress. And now we're not even talking about stress anymore. In the research, we're talking about super stress. We're talking about being so stressed to the max that we're almost at breaking point. I think a lot of it is because of the kinds of reasons that you outlined. I think part of it is because we are permanently connected. My dad was second in charge of his organization. He could take a four-week vacation and never have any contact with the office. He survived and so did the office, but we don't feel that way these days. And we are perennially connected to our phones. We're connected to our jobs. In addition, I think like never before, we're kind of existing in a sandwich generation. So we have aging and ailing parents that we're taking care of, but at the same time, many of us are chauffeuring our kids around the place, and then we're trying to take care of our own stuff. So we're pulled in multiple directions. We are expected to be connected, and our stress is going up accordingly. Yeah, I think it's, you know, that, that we're, we're not, no, it's so hard to switch off because our lives are not compartmentalized, which has benefits for sure. But as I remember somebody once told me that if you live in a world where you expect constant access and convenience, which is kind of how people live now, the downside is other people will expect it of you, <laughs> which means we never really get to turn off. Live by the sword, die by the sword. <laughs> live by the sword, die by the, exactly. Live by the cell phone, die by the cell phone. Um, so some people would say, you know, and you can be, well, just tough it up. You know, you, you snowflakes, you can't handle the stress. Why is that wrong thinking? Is it possible this like, you know, idea just to ignore it and get on, or what are the implications if you don't start trying to effectively manage stress? What happens to people? We, you know, even those people who say suck it up and move on, they have their own triggers as well. It may not be the trigger that caused them to say that, but what we found is that everybody has their vulnerabilities and everybody is at risk for stress. So what we really do need here is a set of resilient skills. Everybody needs them to be able to weather the storm, regardless of what their individual triggers are, because at some point we're going to be you know, put under the kind of levels of stress that will put us to the test. So, so well, tell me more about this. So it's like, because just ignoring stress, it's physically unhealthy, 
right? It physically, I think a lot of people don't realize that, that it actually increases your blood pressure. It has all kinds of effects that it will actually increase your likelihood of getting sick. But a lot of people just try to tough it out. So tell me a little more about, well, how do you manage it? If we can't turn off, we can't, nor do we probably want to unplug from the world and go live like hermits. Um, how can we manage it? You talked about triggers. Well, tell me more about that. What is it? What is the key to managing the stress that we're facing at work? Yeah, we do have to realize that stress at beyond a certain point is unhealthy. You were talking about positive stress and negative stress. That's a true distinction. But at a certain point, regardless of the source, it's going to wear us down. You know, this fight or flight response that we have was designed to operate acutely. A lion would spring out of the savanna grass and it would get our bodies ready to run and we would. That was really great. And an event like that happened maybe once every two weeks. We no longer have lions as our stressors, we, but we have things that are ubiquitous and they are chronic. All the kinds of things we talked about before, aging, ailing parents, work schedules, trying to do more with less, juggling multiple aspects of our life. And that keeps this fight or flight response revving up permanently. And basically, that is the base of the pyramid of all kinds of physical health problems. If you, have, if you push down that accelerator, that gas pedal, and you keep it going, Finally, eventually, the machine's going to break down. So one of the things that we need to do is recognize there are a couple of real good keys to becoming a little more resilient against stress. And one of them is managing our emotional responses. And each and every one of us needs to try to stay calmer under these circumstances. And each and every one of us is having our emotions revved up by our thinking in ways that really don't reflect reality. So that's like, it's like you, there's that book, like, don't sweat the small stuff. Um, and then it said it all is all small stuff, which I don't know if I agree with that. But it's sort of that concept of, you know, don't overreact. A, a, a bad text message is not the same as a lion leaping out of the savannah at you. Don't treat it that way. How do you do that, though? Because it's easy to say, don't get stressed, you know, be more resilient. But how do you actually become more resilient? Yeah, and you're right. It's not all small stuff. Some of some of it is big. You know, one of the I think the first steps in teaching people the skills of resilience is, is to help them recognize that staying calm and focused is key, and that our thinking lets us down here. Each and every one of us has developed what we call an emotion radar, a way of scanning the world. And we learned this in our childhood, and we're scanning for very specific things. Some people are scanning for future threats, stuff that's going to come down the pike to get them. And they're vulnerable to a lot of anxiety. And guess what? If you're scanning long and hard enough for future threat, you're going to find something, even if there's nothing there. And so you're going to be in this anxiety mode needlessly. I, as another example, was raised in a household that taught me to scan for violations of my rights. So I'm scanning away for who's going to mess with me next. I'm going to find something even if there's nothing there. And I get angry a lot of the time. Now, we found that there are seven critical emotions that can interfere with our resilience and put us under unnecessary stress. And they're all driven by these different thought radars. That's fascinating. Can you just quickly take us through the other five? So you talked about future threat creates anxiety, concern about violation of my rights creates anger. What are the other five? Yeah, some people are drawn when an adversity strikes into those resources they don't have to deal with the problem versus those they do. So they, they're seeing all the things they need but don't have. Lack of resources is going to lead to frustration. 
some people tend to focus in on what they've lost rather than what they have, and they're prone to sadness. We know that some people focus in on how they might be losing standing in front of other people, and they're scanning for that, so they get embarrassed a lot of the time. Some people are scanning for how they may be violating the rights of another, um, which is the exact opposite of what anger people do, and, and they find it and feel guilt. And many of us these days, and we're seeing this in, in near epidemic proportions, are looking at the fact that we're not doing anything well. When we're at work, we're thinking of home. When we're at home, we're thinking of work. And so we're failing to meet our own standards of how we should be in the world. And that leads to shame. And we're seeing that as being a growing problem. Wow, that's so fascinating. It's funny as you're going through there and I'm looking at these and I'm like, the frustration one, that's me. <laughs> I was like, and, but how you trigger that. So the first step is, it's fascinating to see these. And, and we'll have in the show notes, we'll, we'll list these and see where you can get more information on these seven. So walk me through. So let's say, how do you determine what is your trigger? You want to take a look at what is the emotion that you experience most when you're under pressure and what gets in the way for you most. For me, it's clearly anger. And when I'm out there in the world um, giving live trainings and asking people to raise their hands if they experience anger or anxiety or frustration and so on, no one has any problem identifying what emotion gets in the way for them. And so they've developed this radar that produces that emotion a lot of the time. And that's the one we want them to work on because it's going to give them the biggest bang for the buck if they're able to bring that one to come and focus, Steve. So the first thing is to understand what is your trigger. Once you identify, and I do think, I, I suspect just when you read that, it's like I could put myself in certain ones. I could put people I know in certain ones. Um, it is when you, when you put it out, you get this awareness and they, they talk about, you know, one of the first things to managing change is understanding what you're trying to change. Once you have this trigger though, how do you manage it? So like when something, when you start to feel yourself getting frustrated or getting angry or feeling guilty, how do you get out of that sort of negative cycle? For me, I recognize that my anger is driven every Every angry experience I have is because I've had a thought about violation. Some of them will be accurate. Many of them will not because I've got this radar that's driving me to scan for it. So as soon as I feel the anger coming up, I say, okay, Andrew, you're getting angry right now. You must be having a thought that someone's messing with you, that there's been a violation, that something isn't fair. What is it? And I say it out loud or write it down. And we find that when people do that, typically they realize wow, that's not accurate at all. I had an experience like this just recently. I came storming into the house. My wife was in our living room working on a laptop. I slammed the front door. She doesn't even bother to look up anymore. It's become so habitual. And she was like, what's wrong? And I said, you're not going to believe what our neighbor has done. And judging by the level of my voice and anger, I think she must have assumed he'd kidnapped one or both of our kids and, the, and I said, he, he's done it again. He's gone and parked his car in front of our house. And even as I said it out loud, I realized this is probably not the violation of an eight, nine, or 10 on a one to 10 scale that I thought it was. And the anger went away. And people can become very good at being able to do this once they realize that there is a thought that is the trigger. I think that's you know I think that's so fascinating. It's funny, you know, my personal I said frustration is mine and and I think as you said this goes back to something about how we were raised. It's very deep seated because 
my dad definitely had the same trigger, and he'd always, pardon my language, it was, God damn, God damn this, God damn, where are the goddamn car keys? That was how I woke up every morning, my dad, unable to find it. <laughs> right. And they were always in the same place. That was the funny thing. But but I remember I was frustrated once, and, and I said, God damn, and my wife said, was it, my brother said it, and my wife said, oh, I live with one of those goddamns. And she and my my sister in law was like, "What?" She goes, "Oh yeah, it means that they're really it's not that big an issue. They're just kind of annoyed and frustrated." And I realized my whole family, it's like a part of my brothers and sister <laughs> how we act. But I think that that understanding yeah. that 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 that's going on is so fascinating. It's a lone proud tradition. My father handed anger to me, and I've had the great honor of handing it down to my son. But the good news is that when you realize where this comes from. You can also teach your kids to get this emotion control and being able to stay calm and focused under pressure enables us to also do good problem solving under pressure. And there's two of the critical pieces of resilience and dealing with stress right there. I think that is, it's, it's as soon as you go into that emotional state, you, you're not thinking as clearly. And so how, I guess the, somebody, if I took like the opposite side, some people might say, well, yeah, but I get energy from these things, you know, the, the being emotional about it. I don't want to be sort of cold and illogical. Is that a true concern or is that, you know, somebody just making an excuse to not try to change their behavior? We're not trying to create Spocks here if you're old school Star Trek, and we're not trying to create robots. What we want is that people will respond like human beings, and these emotions serve a very important purpose. Anger gets our bodies ready to defend our territory. Anxiety gets us ready to run away. So all of these, and frust the frustration that you experience, Steve, it actually keeps you in problem-solving mode until you're able to crack it. Um, without frustration, if you tried something and failed, you'd probably just say, eh, yeah, that's okay. I don't really need to do that. So they serve a very important purpose. What we don't want, though, is to have people in these debilitating emotions because of a mistaken belief about the world. That's counterproductive. So we want people to see the world accurately. Yes, some of these things can get us motivated. They absolutely can. But we want to be experiencing these because of uh, reality, not an, not an imagined reality. That, that's so fascinating. So it's basically, you know, yes, be aware of your emotions, don't deny them, but put them in context and are they rational? And boy, we sure see that playing out in society even beyond work, you know, where people are getting anxious or getting fearful or frustrated and then basically reverse engineering their view of the world to fit their emotion as opposed to seeing if their emotion fits the world. You know, it's, it, that's a fascinating thing that you just said. And it's absolutely true. We, we have outlined, in addition to these motion, motion radars, seven thinking traps that people are vulnerable to. And one of those thinking traps is what we call emotional reasoning, which is exactly what you meant when you were talking about reverse engineering. It's a situation where I might say, I'm angry, so this mustn't be fair. Well, I can get to anger because of a mistaken belief about violation. So if I then use my anger as proof of the violation, there's a circularity there. And this keeps people in this sort of maladaptive, um, negative emotional state longer than they really need to. And that puts us under stress. You know, every emotion that we have has a physical counterpart. It's revving up our body unnecessarily. And frankly, we have enough pressures in the world without adding these imagined ones on, on top of it. Wow. Yeah, well, boy, 
Andrew, my, my trigger of frustration is going off for now because I wish I had more resource of time to get more into this. And <laughs> we would love to have you back and get to this next step. But I just think, I think, the, alas, as we close up, a last point, if somebody out there right now is feeling a lot of stress or they're con- concerned with this, what would be your last bit of advice as, you, as we close out the show? I think sometimes people think that you're either born with a resilience or you're not. Not so. This is a learned set of competencies, the ability to stay calm under pressure, the ability to keep your behaviors focused, to do good problem solving, to have a sense of belief in yourself, realistic optimism, have empathy with others, and the willingness and ability to take on challenges and opportunities. These are at the heart of resilience. Resilience is the antidote to stress, and each and every one of these things can be boosted. So take heart. There are skills out there that can help us get better at all of these things, Steve. Wow. Well, that just by itself reduced my stress. So that we all, that resilience is a learnable skill. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for appearing on Work Matters. We look forward to having you back for a future episode because there's clearly a lot more we could learn from you. But thank you for appearing on the show. I'd be delighted to come back. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Robert. Wow, Robert. I was just like taking self notes during that conversation. What are your thoughts about what Andrew shared? (laughs) Absolutely. No, I was taking real notes as well. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, part of what I took away is is really what you ended on. It it probably is the most important lesson that we learned today, right? You, You don't need to be born with resilience. This really is a skill that that you can, you know, perhaps master is is the wrong word to use, but consistently improve at. And the triggers. Boy, I don't know for you, but when he when he went through those triggers, I was just like, oh. A- absolutely. I or myself or people I know. Yeah. What what's your trigger? Which one are you? which which trigger am I? Yeah. Oh boy. I thought you know, we weren't supposed to make this podcast uh, about me. Um, <laughs> I, you know, uh, I, I'm not sure which trigger I am. I, I was thinking about that during the, you know, the interview. Um, but for me, I, I think it is, uh, similar. I think it's a sense of unfairness. You know, for me, one of the biggest stressors in my life, for instance, is, is when my kids, uh, fight, you know, and it just, uh, it feels unfair that it brings disharmony to the family and, you know, and that kind of thing. So that, that stresses me out, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little more resilient on, on the work side and I can be overwhelmed at work all day long and uh, just feel on top of the world. So I will have to have Andrew back on to, uh, to tell me what that means about me and, uh, and how to improve it. But that's, that's where I stand on the stress side. Yeah. Well, I'm quite confident. I'm quite confident, Robert, that over time, as we continue this podcast, I'll figure out what your triggers are, and I'll probably hit them on a regular basis. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, I do want to take us back to one one point, though, too. You know, and and that is as we talk about the triggers. You know, what it really led me to think about is some of the Paul Ekman uh, training that you know is is out there, and Paul Ekman spends a lot of time focusing on the triggers of stress too, you know, and this concept that when you become emotional, you do become less less rational, right? We may not want to acknowledge it, especially when you're in that moment and feeling emotional, whether it's anger or sad or anxiety or whatever that emotion is. We, we really do, though, our 
uh, our entire nervous system becomes focused around the emotion and justifying the emotional experience that we are having rather than logical and thinking through uh, all the different permutations that may have brought us to that point. You know, it, it is just like Andrew said, anger ends up being the justification for anger. And and so, yeah. you know, I really appreciated what he mentioned about how to avoid that that trap, right? And being amygdala hijacked, so to speak. Yeah. Well, I know that we are right up out of time. So any last thoughts, Robert, as we sign out? I think just uh, keep that in mind, right? As as you are uh, becoming emotional, recognize sometimes that uh, we don't always know when we're becoming emotional. You have to be able to recognize it first. And then as Andrew mentioned, take a minute, right? Pause, write it down, uh, give voice to it, and allow those emotions to subside for a moment so that you can step out of the feelings you're having, uh, you know, and, and be a bit more mindful uh, about your approach. So that's it. Thank you for listening to the Work Matters podcast. And thank you, of course, to Andrew Chate of Equilibrium. And a special thanks to Miguel Caroli and Eva Helbig of our Open SAP video team at the controls for getting us through our first few podcasts. If you have enjoyed this new podcast, please be sure to subscribe and give us a quick rating that'll help others to find us. If you're looking for more information, you need to look no further than our show notes. We'll have more about Equilibrium, Andrew Chate, or SAP, and we look forward to seeing you on the next podcast because what matters at work today? Managing stress matters. Work matters. Thank you for joining us on the Work Matters Podcast. <laughs> I don't know if I overshared some of my personal background on that, but it was so funny when you were talking about that trigger frustration, and I was like... Well, fair enough, or me, you, you put me on the spot, Steve, and now I'm talking about my kids. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Andrew talked about yeah. getting angry at his neighbor because he parked his car <laughs> on the wrong side of the street, so this is, a, this is an intimate show. You know, so, Robert, yeah. the answer, I have I have similar kinds of things, Robert. The answer is iceberg beliefs, these large foundational beliefs we have about how the world is and how we should be in the world. And if you, if you notice differences in how you react in one domain of your life versus another, that's the key. Just FYI. <laughs> <laughs>